namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami Continuing with this um, Dhamma talk called The Five Khandas from uh, the Lumpur Sumato uh, Anthology, uh, Volume 3. Uh, so, uh, we uh, just started to uh, explore Sanya and Sankara uh, together. And uh, the, uh, the, see, the uh, tendency of the mind to identify with perception and mental formations and create the sense of I and me and mine around that. By investigating these five heaps, aggregates or groups, you begin to see them. You can know them as objects because they are anatta, not self. If they were what you are, you wouldn't be able to see them. You'd only be able to be them. You'd have no way of witnessing them or detaching from them. You'd just be caught up in them all the time without any ability to detach and observe them. But being men, being women, monks, nuns, Italian, Danish, Swiss, English, American, Canadian or whatever is only a relative truth relative to certain situations. Yet we can operate our lives from fixed positions of being I'm American and we're this way. Throughout the world, we have those national prejudices and racial prejudices. These are just perception and conception, sanya sankara khandas, that we can observe. When you have a fixed view about somebody, one thing I can't stand is Hondurans. Why Hondurans, I'd have no idea, but that's <laughs> what came to mind when Lumpur was speaking that day. One thing I can't stand is Hondurans. You can observe that in your mind. Even if you have strong prejudices and feelings, but you try to get rid of them, that comes from assuming that you shouldn't have any prejudices at all, that you shouldn't have uh, any bad feelings towards anybody, and you should be able to accept criticism with an equanimous mind and not feel angry or upset. That's another very idealistic assumption. See that as a condition of mind and keep observing rather than hating ourselves or hating others for being prejudiced. We observe the very limitations of any prejudices or perceptions and conceptions of the mind. We meditate on the impermanent nature of perception. In other words, we don't try to justify, explain, get rid of, or change anything. We just try to observe that all things change, all that begins ends. So at that uh, particular point he made at the beginning of this about uh, if you uh, the reason why we can we can observe things we can contemplate things is because they're, they're not what we are and that uh, that's a, a frequent theme in, in his teachings and that uh, the uh, I think it's something that we we forget and that is but it uh, is something that is absolutely crucial to, to Dhamma practice, the fact that um, the, the very ability that we have to watch the mind and to know the arising and passing of things means that, that, uh, uh, that there isn't an absolute identification with those qualities. The, um, uh, and that, uh, that ability to, to watch the mind, this is really the most sort of precious and wonderful qualities and vipassana meditation insight meditation is very much built around um, say uh, the clarification and the strengthening of that quality that that ability to watch things arising and passing away we don't think of it as anything special it's kind of normal to us and, and familiar so you know watching watching my mind or saying to somebody you know oh it's a good idea to watch your mind that uh, uh, the fact that we can do that is uh, is really <laughs> the most important skill that we have, and uh, 
one of the the passages that uh, Lumpur would often uh, often quote, and, and I, I think is one of the most relevant um, sutta passages, is where uh, he's come uh, come across a group of members of the sangha talking uh, together, and Venerable Ananda had been talking about the miraculous and extraordinary events around uh, the birth of the Bodhisattva, and, and saying how uh, um, the, the uh, uh, Prior to his birth, then he had been uh, the Bodhisattva, been living in the the Tusita heaven, and descended into his mother's womb. How he was uh, when when she was pregnant with him, she never had any kind of discomfort. That she gave birth to him standing up, and and when it, and when she gave birth to him, then uh, he immediately started walking and took seven steps, and then started talking and said, "I am the foremost in the world. I am the the leader in the world." And with uh, with each of those statements, these kind of extraordinary, amazing uh, events of the of the the, uh, the birth of the Bodhisattva, then Venerable Ananda said, "This is another wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata." So when the Buddha showed up and then asked them what they were talking about, and Venerable Ananda repeated the whole of that um, exposition that he'd been he'd been giving about these kind of totally amazing, strange, and wonderful. Uh, uh, aspects of, of his birth, he said, well, would you like to hear another wonderful and marvellous quality of the Tathagata? And um, they said, oh, yes, please, you know, expecting, in the, the flow of the, the account, you know, they seemingly expecting more extraordinary, strange, and mysterious, unusual uh, events around his birth and so on. But what he says is, when a, a, a feeling arises in the mind of the, the Tathagata, he knows this is a feeling arising. As it abides in the mind, he knows this is a feeling abiding in the mind. As it fades away, he knows this is a feeling fading away uh, in the mind of the Tathagata. This too is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata. So too with perceptions and mental formations. So he knows them as they arise, knows them as they abide, knows them as they fade away. This too is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata. And so that uh, that uh, ability to watch our mind is uh, the Buddha saying that that's okay. It's all right. You can uh, you can start walking and talking as soon as you're born. That's that's one thing. But the really miraculous and amazing thing is that we can watch our minds. That's what is you know, really valuable and important. That's a wonderful and marvelous quality. So I think that the uh, the capacity that we have to be able to to know thought, to know feeling, to know memory. And, the, and and then to deduce from that, to, to have that intuition of, okay, this can be known. It's a, a thing that is known, therefore it's not what I am. It's not me. It's not mine. It's it's an object uh, that's, uh, that's uh, say, apparent. It comes into being, does its thing, and fades away. Therefore, that's not absolutely who and what I am. That, that which is knowing it is not identify with that is is somehow separate is apart is is transcendent of that and that very ability to watch the mind and um uh, and to to see uh, the uh, the implications of that that was one of the most um significant aspects of lumpur cha meeting lumpur man in the very sh- uh, few days when he was uh, there visiting visiting uh, lumpur man's uh, Monastery, that uh, uh, during the, uh, the I think the final evening that he was there, and when uh, Lumpur Chow was giving the accounts of, of that that time he spent with with uh, with uh, Lumpur Man, uh, he said that he, one of the things that had the biggest impact on him was uh, that Lumpur Man clarifying that that which is aware of the five khandas is intrinsically transcendent of the five khandas that. Um, that quality of of knowing the puru that it transcends the five khandas it knows the five khandas as as they arise take shape pass away but uh, it's it's not limited by the five khandas it's not identified with them it's transcended of them that's why liberation is possible if that if the quality of knowing if every aspect of knowing was intrinsically part of the five khandas liberation would be impossible but it's because 
there is this quality of awakened awareness, which is a transcendent knowing, uh, that lokutara panya, uh, then that it's because of that liberation is possible. And that really hit the, the young Ajahn Chah at that time. It really sort of sank in, and, and he saw, right, that's, that's, the whole, that's the whole deal. That's, that's what really makes a difference. And so then that, uh, that was a powerful insight for him, and that's, uh, I feel, represented very clearly by what uh, Lumpur is saying here. And the other thing to say in that last sentence, last couple of sentences of this, Lumpur says, in other words, we don't try to justify, explain, get rid of, or change anything. We just try to observe that all things change, that all that, uh, all that begins ends. So I feel that's it's good to clarify that um, because sometimes when when um, teachers uh, speak in these terms, it can be uh, taken to imply a kind of passivity uh, of just um, you know don't do anything, just watch, and to um, and I feel that's a, a a misreading of what's really intended in terms of what's said because. Uh, the in in Buddha Dhamma passivity is not the same as peace. So that uh, and I think I was making this point a few days ago in one of the readings that uh, our capacity to act uh, is part of the way things are. It's not as though our our action, our doing, and our making choices is an imposition on the way things are. It's part of the way things are. And so I feel that when we when we read words or hear words like this, um, uh, we. Uh, we don't try to justify, explain, get rid of, or change anything. We just try to observe that all things change. That uh, I would say, yeah, but also our our capacity to act is part of what's changing. And that uh, when we talk in that terms of, in those terms of uh, of watching or being the observer or being the, the one who knows, uh, that embodying that quality of knowing. That uh, that's not just um, say going towards a uh, a sort of um, dissociate an unskillful dissociation or a way of flattening our our involvement or, or the the capacity of the mind to act and, and to choose. Um, yeah, I say this over and over again, but I feel it's an important principle to to really take in because um, it, the, what can happen is that. The vibhavatanna, the the, um, the sort of desire to annihilate or to to not feel, to to not be, that sort of sneaks in and <laughs> takes over. That so I'm just watching, I'm just watching, I'm just watching. But actually, what's happened is that the vibhavatanna reflex has has uh, come in the back door, as it were, and is and is uh, muffling or or, or or switching off our natural attunement to uh, a situation and to to working with the body with our own body or with our, our mind states and so that uh, it's um, uh, it, uh, it seems as though or we're we're labeling it as just watching or just being aware but what's actually happening is there's a lot of of uh, annihilation, a lot of um, switching off and not feeling, a lot of dissociation being brought in, into being, which necessarily brings more more dukkha with it. So I feel that's a. It's very important not to misunderstand that that point. And then when we talk about non-attachment or just watching, then we can just watch ourselves making choices. <laughs> We can just watch as uh, as we take action and and uh, say give direction to our life and to our mind and to to our practice. So, any thoughts, questions? Yes, Anagarika, Philippe, please. Thank you, Adrian. Um, my question is. I realized that I was, I am able to watch my mind, my feeling, and but when I do it, I still have this. How can I say this feeling? Then, okay, there is this object, which is feeling, thought, whatever, and but there is still a subject. And when I do it, I'm okay. I'm not what I feel, and it's kind of great, but. I have a strong feeling of I am watching this. So, like, how can I? Because in a way, I, I, 
I'm looking at, I'm looking of it, and then I try to like turn around <laughs> and see like, but what is looking to it? But I can't, yeah. and I have the strong feeling of, I am watching it. So yes, I am not this, but I am the watcher, and so how can I turn around and actually <laughs> even not be the watcher? Turn around really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, a, uh, well, the, the, there's a, a few different um, aspects to this. Yeah, one of the uh, um, uh, one of the aspects of it is that it 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 shows uh, how powerful the conditioning is with uh, around identification. That rather than just seeing, there is me seeing the, that. What, what we call manyati, that conceiving, that self-conception, is incredibly strong. Um, but what, uh, what can be used to approach that is that kind of reflective inquiry. So when the mind is quite quiet and still, then to use that kind of a question like, um, who is it that's watching this? Yeah. Is this a person watching? Yeah. Uh, is a... Uh, uh, is this awareness a person? Is this a me? And then you, using that kind of a, of a questioning in a very sort of clear, deliberate, quiet way, and then it, it, for a moment, what, uh, what usually happens is that that, that eye-making and mind-making gets interrupted. There's a sort of, in, in a way, the, the camera turns back onto the photographer. <laughs> Like uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson being caught in the frame, you know, he was famous as a photographer for never having his photograph taken. So, <laughs> so it's like turning the, the the camera back and catching uh, or the Henri in the in the the frame of the camera. And that what happens is that that when that kind of a question uh, is asked, uh, you know, who is watching this or what is it that's aware uh, of this? then you're not looking for a conceptual answer, but rather by posing that kind of a question um, in, the, in the sort of stillness and quietness of the, of the mind, then there, there's the uh, intuitive wisdom is being, is being activated that recognizes who is the wrong question. It's not, it's not a who. It, that, that, that's presuming something that isn't the fact. Oh. So it can be a very short interruption. It can be like half a second or a second before the thinking mind jumps in and says, well, it's me, you know. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the way the pra this practice works is to keep the attention on that, on that gap before all the self-creation starts, starts up again in that moment of, oh, it's not a who, oh. And just notice that the quality of awareness that's there when... That self-creation is interrupted when there's a, a it's caused to to hesitate. It's broken up for a moment. Um, so I found that that kind of a practice very very helpful for that uh, in that respect. Also, um, rather than just questioning it, another approach is to inflate it, to say, "I am watching. I am the knower. I am." And then, in the similar way that the by inflating it, it sort of it loses its its strength. It's sort of it's it's, it's revealed as ridiculous, or, or like. But some, again, you, you're rousing that intuitive wisdom, recognizes that's absurd. That's not it at all. So you can use different approaches like that, and it's good to experiment. But I found both of those. Uh, can be very helpful in both in 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 bringing about that effect of say uh, interrupting the habitual self creation, the eye making and mind making, which is you know, a very very powerful force, you know, very strong conditioning. But I can guarantee you won't be able to turn turn around quick enough to catch the. <laughs> You'll just get a crick in your neck if you. You try that. Another um, an, another image that Lumpur would use um, is about trying to to see your own eyes. Trying to make when we try to make awareness an object, rather than just being being that knowing, trying to make awareness an object, 
it's like trying to, to see your own eyes. So frequently in Lumpur Sumedho's Dhamma talks, he would use that. And I found that that's a really good uh, sort of a image to, to, to use. He, he would say, I'm trying, I'm trying to find my eyes. I, I, they must be around here somewhere. I know I can see, so they must be here somewhere. Has anyone seen my eyes? I can't find my eyes anywhere. Think, well, <laughs> but that's like trying to make awareness an object because the very thing that is uh, is the means whereby it will be known is the thing that you're looking for. So it's like trying to look for your eyes. And uh, and so, you know, Lumpur would make it clear. And it can be quite, uh, uh, sort of, seem quite ridiculous in putting it in that way, but we do tend to do that. Like, I want to make the awareness an object. I want to, you know, I want to know the awareness. And it's sort of, you know, it's like, trying to see your own eyes. You can see a reflection of them in a mirror, but you can't actually see them because it's the very means whereby you're seeing. So rather than trying to make awareness an object, there's a, uh, you, you find that in this letting go of the self-creation around that, that there is a, a, just a way of allowing that, the, the mind to embody that quality of, of knowing and uh, is essentially subjectless and objectless. It's just uh, uh, the the mind is awake and it's not fixing on an object and it's not creating a subject. But the, but the uh, awareness, that quality of knowing, that that vicha, is uh, is fully clarified. Then, of course, the thinking mind says, "Ah, this is just being the knowing. This is what <laughs> I'm being the knowing. That's what I am." And it's but that's just another thought that's come into being, and the mind grabs that. Uh, thought so that the the practice is um, in a way uh, staying at the uh, if you can use the analogy staying at the back wall of experience uh, of of knowing and that any kind of conceiving around that like I am the knowing <laughs> you are I I am a, I am aware or I'm 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 knowing the knowing that's what I'm doing is uh, that's always a, a stepping away that the mind is in a sense. Uh, stepped away from that, the actual quality of knowing, and is being brought into a thought about the knowing, or a, con- a conception uh, in that's created around that, and so that there's a as a, a essential quality of sort of relaxation and resting um, in that uh, being that awake aware quality without creating any sense of I me or mine around it, or if the I am's arise and say, uh, uh, but I, I am, I am aware, I am practicing, I am watching, that that's recognized immediately as a something, a, a, a mental formation that the uh, the mind has been born into in that moment. Does that make sense? Any other questions? Yes, Gaspar. Well, uh, just to reflect on, on the techniques, so I was just wondering your thoughts on, there is a very peculiar technique that I've used sometimes that I found to result in, um, I think, to result in a very interesting feeling of absence, or which reminds me of these gaps that, um, that we've mentioned here. And it's basically to use the finger to point objects and starting from the furthest that you can see for example I see a, a column there then I point to the pillow and then I approach to my body for example I point to the knee and then I point to the to the belly and then I point to myself and then suddenly at least this is my experience suddenly there is this blank uh, sort of unanswer- unanswerable uh, gap that is where, oh, what am I pointing to? So it's kind of like turning this camera mm-hmm. uh, towards the photographer. So I was just wondering whether you think this would be useful. Thank you. Uh, well, my, my basic philosophy is if it works, it's the right thing. Yeah, so <laughs> there's a, um, um, uh, yeah, a number of different uh, techniques that, that people can use uh, and that it's good to experiment with uh, with things uh, 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 of that nature. Um, there's a, a, 
um, a teacher uh, who wrote, uh, wrote a book called On Having No Head. Um, I forget his... Uh, Douglas Harding, thank you. And that uh, I think Lumpur Sameta met him a few times. And uh, uh, he has a number of these kind of techniques of, of realizing that you have no head. And that, uh, <laughs> and similarly, is, is ways of developing an insight into, into not-self and to, um, uh, uh, say, explore the, the habits of self-creation and how much the mind invests in that and learning how to uh, have no head, <laughs> to, <clears throat> to let go of, of self-view and conceit and to, to be comfortable with that. And so that uh, you know, any kind of technique that, that works in an effective way that's really, uh, uh, say, digestible, it, it's uh, something that you can use in an ongoing way and it has a, a beneficial effect, then fine, you know, take it and use it. I, I never hadn't used that particular method you're describing uh, uh, myself, but uh, if you find that that works, then that's, that's fine. Yes, Maureen. Could you use the microphone? I guess since I was just going to share a technique that I was taught, um, kind of using, you know, thinking of a little bit of Abhidhamma, like using mental factors. Um, when, let's say, you're taking an object, let's say you're on the breath, and that that thought arises who's aware of the breath. Um, I was taught you can, you know, to think of it as, as, seeing it as a process, you'd say mindfulness is mindful of the breath. And then, you know, let's say an unpleasant feeling is arising in your leg. Instead of identifying with that unpleasant feeling, it's like, oh, I'm in pain, I'm in pain. It's who's feeling unpleasant feeling. Feeling is feeling unpleasant feeling. And it does kind of, it takes... For me, it kind of um, one step back and then seeing that there's this whole mental process that's happening and that the mental factors are just performing a function and passing away and that we're constantly identifying them as who we are, but actually they're just performing a function and so constantly seeing that, func that functionality of, of the mind and mental factors. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good way of doing it because it also it's just a way of shifting the 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 framework from uh, the the habit of personalizing everything to seeing things in terms of a natural order. That this is because uh, the the instinct is so strong in terms of I am this person, I am this individual being, and this is my experience, and this is what's happening for me, or this is what I'm doing. The the conditioning to to refer to experience and action uh, in those ways is incredibly strong. So just rephrasing things and reframing uh, the, 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 the way the mind holds what's going on can have a, a very, you know, very powerful effect because it has that same sense of interrupting the, the habitual ways of, of seeing and holding it. And that, that, uh, but the, the, the point of these kind of practices also it's yeah, applying the method is one thing, but it's the oh, the the change of heart that it brings about. That's the the real purpose of it. So that it's good to be bearing that in mind, along with with just using that sort of like a, a a different way of naming things or framing things. That you know, then it's the, those moments of oh, yeah, and where the mind really sees it and, and holds the 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 flow of experience in a very very different way. That's the, the the fruit of that the, that kind of practice. That in because in that moment, then th there really is the quality of the mind freer of grasping. There's a that's, that that uh, blend of clarity, simplicity, and peacefulness, and, and alertness is is all is all there. So, getting to know that quality, or here is the mind free of identification, free of grasping, and it's like this. It feels this way. So the uh, the more that is fully recognized and uh, and is uh, say acknowledged uh, the, and sort of uh, see oh this is uh, this is the basis when the mind is free of grasping it's like this 
when the mind is when it's free of obstructions, when the, that quality of awareness is clarified, it's like this. Then that becomes uh, a, a, a very helpful baseline. Yeah, that becomes sort of the the, the reference point or the, the baseline for experience, and then it becomes easier to notice when the mind has sort of <laughs> uh, departed from that baseline when it's being things are being put in terms of. of of me and mine and where I'm getting to or what I need to get rid of what I need to get hold of and that, that's much more that all the, the selfing that I making and mind making is more obvious that sort of departure from that gets uh, uh, becomes more apparent okay so I'll continue then we meditate on the vijnana kanda Consciousness, the sensory consciousness of the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, and how one thing goes to another. Aware of the movements of consciousness of the senses. Looking at something, hearing something, this changes very rapidly. All these five khandhas are anicca, impermanent. When we chant rupang anichang, vedana anicca, sanya anicca, sankara anicca, vinyanang anichang, this is very profound. Then we chant Sabe Sankara Anicca. Sankara here means all conditioned phenomena, all sensory experience, the sense organs, the objects of the sense organs, the consciousness that arises on contact. All this is Sankara and is Anicca. All is conditioned. So Sankara here includes the other four khandhas, Rupa Vedana Sanya and Vijnana. With this, you have a perspective from which the conditioned world is infinitely variable and complex. But where do you separate sanya from sankara, or sankara from vijnana? It's best not to try to make precise divisions between these five aggregates. They're just convenient means for looking at things, helping you to meditate on mental states, the physical world and the sensory world. We're not trying to fix anything as permanently sankara, or definitely sanya, but just using these labels to observe that the sensory world, from the physical to the mental, from coarse to refined, is conditioned, and all conditioned phenomena are impermanent. Then you have a way of seeing the totality of the conditioned world as impermanent, rather than getting involved in it all. In this practice of insight meditation, we're not trying to analyze the conditioned world, but to detach from it, to see it in a perspective. This is when you really begin to comprehend anicca. You insightfully know that sabe sankara anicca. So as we were um, addressing yesterday, and there's a lot of overlap, and, and also I think the day before, there's a lot of overlap um, between the different uh, khandhas, and that they, uh, uh, they are a, a rough grouping, uh, a, a set of groups that uh, is a convenient way of slicing up the, the pie of experience, but uh, they, they overlap a lot and we can, uh, we can say, um, use the different words in different ways and according to different situations. What Lumpur is pointing to here is that the word sankara, uh, it can mean mental formations, like in the five khandhas, um, uh, the uh, the sankara kanda there is referring to um, uh, thoughts, emotions, intentions, memories, imagination, or um, sort of mental activity. But it it also is used in a much broader sense, so that it, the English word thing can easily and um, properly be translated as sankara. And so that in the in the chanting when we well, when uh, when we are doing the morning chanting. At sabe sankara anicca. In that that particular phrase, it doesn't just doesn't just mean mental formations. It means every kind of thing. So the body is a sankara. The temple here is a sankara. The world, the universe, is a sankara, uh, as well as mental formations and uh, you know, ideas and uh, emotions and, and moods and so forth. So that it's being used in a, a very uh, much broader sense in that particular phraseology. But as Lumpur points out, it's uh, best not to try and make precise divisions between the five aggregates. Um, but uh, they are just uh, say, being used as a convenient um, and informal division for the different aspects of, of experience.
So any thoughts and beliefs that you have are just conditions. But I'm not saying that you shouldn't believe in anything. I'm just pointing out a way to see things in perspective. So you're not deluded by them. We won't grasp the experience of emptiness or the unconditioned, the deathless, as a personal attainment. Some of you have been grasping that one as a kind of personal attainment, haven't you? I know emptiness. I've realized emptiness. And patting yourselves on the back. That's not sabe dhamma anatta. That's grasping the unconditioned, making it into a condition, me and mine. When you start thinking of yourself as having realized emptiness, you can see that also as a condition of the mind. Sabe dhamma anatta. All things are not self, not a person, not a permanent soul, not a self of any sort. That's very important to contemplate also because sabhe dhamma includes all things, both the conditioned phenomena of the sensory world and the unconditioned, the deathless. This is a, um, uh, say a, a tricky area where, um, and it's often a, 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 a case of the, 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 the mind. And one of the reasons why Lumpur Sumato Lumpur Cha would wouldn't make a, a big thing about levels of attainment and realization or levels of jhana and such like, but rather, um, uh, say, using the contemplation of Sabe Sankaranicha, uh, everything is impermanent, everything is not sure. And that uh, in Lumpacha's Dhamma talks as well, uh, he uh, would emphasize that when the mind wants to make some kind of a claim, well, I've realized stream entry or I've, I've seen the deathless, I've, I know the unconditioned, it would be a, a, a strong encouragement to pay close, pay close attention how the, the mind is holding this particular experience. It, it's not as though there hasn't been some kind of insight into the deathless, uh, to, into the unconditioned, but what is the mind doing with that? How is the, the mind holding that? Because it can be the case that in a, 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 a moment of great clarity, yes, the, the, the deathless has genuinely been realized in that moment, that's absolutely the case. But yeah, uh, half a second later, in comes the the uh, the eye making and mind making, and says, "Oh, I've realised the deathless. <laughs> yeah, I must be a stream enterer." And that the the I am has just say uh, 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 taken hold of that experience and uh, the idea of it, the memory of it, and turned it into a, a personal possession, a personal uh, attainment. And so that then that uh, that realization of the deathless is then occluded. It's then masked by the I am taking hold of it and claiming it and and uh, assuming the role of being a an owner or an achiever or a, an attainer. So that uh, uh, oftentimes when talking about this, Lumpur Sumedha would make a point of using the word realizing or realization. Uh, and he almost uh, never would use uh, attainment um, uh, as a uh, a way of speaking about these these qualities, and uh, and I feel that's that's a significant point. That uh, again, you can say I have realized, <laughs> but it's a, a little less uh, achievement oriented, or a, a, a little less uh, self. Um, uh, self-based or uh, self-inflated a term, uh, because it's a uh, uh, it's something that's very attractive, very appealing, and you know we we come into the sangha with the uh, with the the aim of realizing nibbana. You know when we take the 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 pabaja and the uh, the have the ordination ceremonies the the part of the the wording that we use is sabadukha um, nisarana. To, in order to cross over, to let go of all all dukkha, to uh, to relinquish all dukkha, nibbana sachi karanathaya. In order to realize nibbana, you know that's why we're going forth. That's why we shave our heads and put on these robes. So it's yes, nibbana sachi karanathaya uh, to realize, to uh, to um, to make that real, to to see the truth of nibbana. That's the aim. That's the as for stating that as a as a, a goal as a direction, and so that's very much a part of it. But then, uh, what Lumpocha Lumposameda would, would highlight so often is how how insidious, how how easily the the eye making and mind making habit uh, 
gets uh, uh, control or takes gets uh, involved in and influences that quality of realization, and it, um, and it can then be very very obstructive and make things you know, difficult for yourself and the, uh, the 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 people that you live with, um, and so that. Uh, yeah, even though someone might have had a very powerful uh, meditation experience and something that is quite transformative, the uh, it's not that 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 experience was not valid or, or um, uh, a genuine insight at that time, but in a way the the most important thing is what does the mind do <laughs> with that? What what do the uh, what do the, the 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 thoughts, the memories, the ideas, the, the habits of self creation? What do they do? With the memory of that experience, or the the the, uh, the implications uh, that come from that, that experience, and so that's an area to be uh, sort of very very uh, attentive to. There's a a, um, a sutta in the, again in the Majjhima Nikaya that's very um, so sort of, uh, sort of explicitly about this. It's called the Five and the Three, the Panchataya Sutta. Sutta number 102 in the Majima, and uh, uh, at the in the end of the sutta, uh, sort towards the, the, the closing of the sutta, the Buddha is describing. So there might be someone who's meditating, and their mind is uh, is very very quiet. The, their heart is free of of uh, any apparent kilesas, and then sitting there meditating, they they have the thought, "I am at peace. Uh, I am without clinging. I have realized nibbana." And that, uh, and then he points out the very way that the mind phrases that experience indicates the, the clinging that is still there. And in in the wisdom publications uh, translation of that, it's a I think Bhikkhu Bodhi has it. The the eye is so both italic and underlined. I think in the in the wisdom edition is that I am at peace. I am without clinging. I have realized nibbana. And it's like. The 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 eye uh, is, is is very much at work there, and so the, the Buddha points out he's not saying that that experience is not uh, not wholesome and not not valid, but look at what the mind is doing with it. And then he goes on to say that the, the skillful way of relating to that um, uh, that uh, that kind of experience is to recognize the. Uh, the arising, uh, the uh, the the uh, and disappearing of sense of sensory perceptions of um, so the the arising and fading of sensory perceptions, the gratification, the kind of pleasant quality, the the asada, and then the liability, the adinava, uh, and then the escape, the nisarana, with respect to all of the the uh, the six sense spheres, so that. Uh, even with beautiful, wholesome, you know, bright mind states, to know, oh, this this is something that that has arisen, knowing the origin of it that, and the disappearance, that it's an impermanent condition, knowing the gratification, like yeah, this is blissful, this is beautiful, this is this is lovely, this is uh, this is desirable, and then seeing the liability, the the ardinava. Uh, that if this is clung to or this is identified with, then this this is uh, this is bringing this is going to bring dukkha, and then nisarana the uh, the recognizing that therefore the skillful way to relate to even these beautiful wholesome noble experiences is non-identification is to in, uh, relate to them with non-grasping and not to build a, an I a me or a mine uh, around that. So uh, that's a, a sutta is very well worth getting to know, and particularly that passage at the end. And it, uh, to me, that uh, that gives a very helpful framework to know the origin, the disappearance, the gratification, the danger, and the escape with respect with res- <laughs> with respect to the six sense spheres. That uh, that's a, a good framework to to hold in mind, especially uh, as the the uh, retreat time continues and we have more. Uh, opportunity to practice uh, a lot of uh, solitary meditation or the mind gets quieter and quieter and the likelihood of having more sort of peaceful and bright uh, mental states gets uh, gets stronger and gets more likely and, and those uh, experiences are more apparent it's a very helpful way of of say holding that in knowing that, oh, that even these wholesome beautiful states uh, they arise they pass away 
there's a gratifying quality, asada, there's a, yes, this is delightful, this is good, at last. <laughs> and then the adinava, and the asada and adinava, they're a pair, the, the gratification and the danger or the liability, the, 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 the upside and the downside, that there is this sweetness, but then there is the, uh, the liability that it is an event, it's a, it's a perception, and if it's identified with or grasped, then necessarily that identification will bring dukkha with it. And then the nisarana, the, the escape or the, um, uh, the, the means of, of uh, transcendence, that uh, the, is letting go, is non, non-attachment, non-identification. So to continue. Notice that Buddhists make no claim for deathlessness as being a self either. Quote, I have an immortal soul, or, quote, God is my true nature, unquote. The Buddha avoided all statements of that nature. Any possible conceiving of oneself as anything at all is an obstacle to enlightenment. Because you attach to an idea again, to a concept of self as being part of something, Maybe you think there's a piece of you, a little soul, that joins the bigger one at death. That's a conception of the mind that you can know. We're not saying it's untrue or false, but we're just being the knowing, knowing what can be known. We don't feel compelled to grasp that as a belief. We see it as only something that comes out of the mind, a condition of the mind, so we let even that go. Uh, and this is a, a common image that you get within spiritual traditions, say within the, the, the Vedas, the idea of the Atman being reunited with Brahman, the sort of the individual essence being uh, reunited with the Brahman, the kind of absolute reality. Or as um, Sir Edwin Arnold put it at the end of The Light of Asia, the dewdrop slips into the shining sea, as a sort of image of uh, the parinibbana, or the, the end of the the, uh, the Buddha's passing away, that uh, he, uh, the Buddha specifically uh, avoided that kind of a lang- uh, the kind of language, and um, uh, and I again the uh, I think Lumpur Sumedha puts it absolutely uh, brilliantly here that uh, it's a conception of the mind that you can know that <laughs> we're not saying it's untrue or false, but we're just being the knowing, knowing what can be known. So. Uh, that kind of um, uh, say being becoming one with everything or being reunited with the absolute uh, it's, it's notable that the Buddha doesn't use that kind of language and there's one or two suttas where he um, uh, he talks about that in uh, uh, in the um, uh, in this using the kind of language that you would find in the Vedas of saying that uh, uh, even in relationship, not just to 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 the all, the, the sabha, the the kind of the whole universe, uh, or but he even talks about it in terms of relating to nibbana. He says he does not conceive the all, does not conceive being a part of the all, does not conceive becoming one with the all. Well, why is that? Because because they have understood the all. Uh, he does not conceive himself as in Nibbana, as apart from Nibbana, as getting Nibbana, or as dissolving into Nibbana. You know, why is that? Because of having understood Nibbana. And uh, I'm not quoting that absolutely accurately, but uh, I think it's in the um, another the, the suttas in the Majjhima Nikaya. I think it's uh, maybe even the sutta number one, uh, the the root of all things, the Mula Pariyaya Sutta. Uh, again, I'm not, abs- not absolutely sure about that, but. Uh, it's using that kind of a language uh, that would say uh, that um, uh, not not conceiving yourself as apart from the all and then being dissolving into the all or becoming one with the all or being separated from the all or or being the all that any kind of of conceiving is necessarily uh, creating dukkha and that it's an extraordinarily uh, acute and uh, accurate way of of phrasing things, I find it, it can take a little bit of contemplation to get a sense of of what that that means. But um, I feel that uh, the um, the the kind of spiritual model that the, the you know the the Buddha would have grown up with, like that kind of uh, the idea of the Atman separated from Brahman, and the spiritual journey is to get reunited with with Brahman with 
with the with the absolute he he grew up with that kind of concept around and and that part of the insight of his enlightenment and and forming the basis of his teaching is that well even talking in that way of <laughs> of somehow um, being separate and getting reunited with everything or being becoming one with everything is like that doesn't help that that's not uh, that's not an accurate portrayal of of how it is so best not to talk in that way and so um there, and often in these kind of teachings, I, I, I think it's there in the Amula Pariyaya Sutta. Again, I'm not 100% sure I'm remembering that correctly. He says, I, I teach one thing, suffering and the end of suffering. <laughs> but he sort of brings it back to the, the very momentary experience of the mind uh, uh, through any kind of grasping whatsoever that creates the causes of, of dukkha. And so that... Uh, rather than trying to get the perfect philosophical framework that represents uh, the sort of absolute sort of condition of things and how, how the universe works, he keeps bringing the attention back to dukkha and the ending of dukkha. If there's if there's uh, grasping, then it's going to be uh, of any uh, anything whatsoever, whether it's subtle or coarse or, or um, internal or external, you know, obvious or, or not obvious, then there's going to be dukkha coming from that. So he says, now and as formerly what I teach is suffering and the end of suffering, full stop. Uh, which can be a bit frustrating to the philosophers amongst us who like to have a, a map of the universe and how everything, uh, have a picture you know, of how it, how it all fits together. But um, I feel it's part of the, the Buddha's great wisdom that he, he, he realizes, no, it doesn't really help to have that kind of a, a, a metaphysical uh, to to depend upon a big sort of a uh, large scale metaphysical framework, but rather to keep things very practical, very direct, and and to see because of, of grasping, there's dukkha. If there's no grasping, there's no dukkha. So in that in that light, another very uh, useful teaching to be acquainted with is in the um, uh, again in the Majjhima Nikaya, the Chula Tanha Sankhya Sutta, the um, the shorter discourse on the destruction of craving, and in that, uh, the, this is where the the Buddha says uh, he uses this phrase "sabhe dhamma nalang abhinivesaya." Uh, sabhe dhamma, all things, uh, all uh, all aspects of reality, nalang uh, should not be abhinivesaya, should not be grasped at or attached to, should not be clung to. Sabhe dhamma nalang abhinivesaya. So he uh, said, if you've heard this, you've heard everything. If you've understood this, you've understood everything. If you've practiced this, you've practiced everything. If you've realized this, you've realized everything. And uh, that isn't uh, quite a, a statement that they, okay, this is all the information you need to know. <laughs> like, if you've heard this, you've heard everything. Uh, if you've practiced this, you've practiced everything. Yeah. And so that it's a, a way of summarizing the entire teaching. Don't cling to anything. <laughs> Just that, that's that's the, uh, the the kind of synopsis of, of the entire teaching, and so it's a a, a, a very emphatic and, and uh, I think a very significant statement that we have of the Buddha. You don't uh, don't cling to anything. And that if we really take that to heart and just see every place that the mind likes to cling, clinging to self-criticism, clinging to self-praise, clinging to criticism of other people or praising other people, uh, clinging to objects, to memories, to plans, to opinions, to... Uh, to moods, whatever it might be, the the, the, uh, the irrespective of what it is, the, the the object of clinging, whatever the mind hangs on to, that is where dukkha is generated. And so, if that principle of nothing whatsoever should be grasped at or clung to, if that's applied, then uh, that is a way of of ending dukkha in every dimension of our of our being of our life. Keep that formula. All conditions are impermanent. All things are not self for reflection. And then whatever happens in your life, as you live it, you can see. Sabe sankara anicca, sabe dhamma anatta. It keeps you from being deluded. If miraculous phenomena happen to you, and it's a way of understanding other religious conventions. Christians come along and say, only through Jesus Christ can you be saved. You can't be saved through Buddhism. Buddha was only a man, but Jesus Christ was the son of God. 
So you think, oh, I wonder, maybe they're right. After all, when you go to one of these born-again meetings, everyone's radiating happiness. Their eyes are bright and they say, praise the Lord. When you go to a Buddhist monastery and just sit there for hours on end watching your breath, you don't get high like that. So you might start doubting and think, maybe that's right. Maybe Jesus is the way. But what you can know is that there's a doubt. Look at that doubt. Or the feeling of being intimidated by other religions when they come on, when they come on strong. Or feeling averse to them. Or having prejudices against religions. What you can know is that these are perceptions of the mind. They come and go and change. Keep a constant, cool reflection on these things, rather than trying to figure them out or feel that you have to justify being a Buddhist. Christians may say, you don't do anything for the third world. And you say, we, we, we chant, we share merit, and we radiate loving kindness. That sounds pretty weak in a situation where you're talking about malnutrition and starvation in Africa. But now, at this time, there's this opportunity to understand the limits of what you can do. All of us would definitely do something about starvation in Africa if we could, if we felt that there was something one individual could do here and now at this time. Reflect on this. What is the real problem at this time? Is it the problem of starvation in Africa, or is it human selfishness and ignorance? Isn't starvation in Africa the result of human greed, selfishness and stupidity? Therefore, we open our minds to the Dhamma. We wisely reflect on it and then realize it. Truth is to be realized and known within the context of personal experience. But the practice is a continuous one. I still practice all the time. Things change. People praise and blame. The world goes on. One just keeps reflecting on it through Sabe Sankara Anicca, Sabe Dhamma Anatta. When you recognize the conditioned and the unconditioned, you have what is called the ability to develop the path, and there's no more confusion about that. The goal now is to realize Nibbana, or the deathless, or non-attachment, to realize what it's like not to be attached to the five khandhas. Realize that when you're sitting here and you're really at peace. There's no attachment to the five khandhas then, but you might make a perception out of that peacefulness and attach to that and always try to meditate in order to become peaceful again, according to a perception. That's why the practice is continuously letting go, rather than an attainment. Sometimes when you become calm on a retreat, you can have a very peaceful mind, and you attach to it, so you meditate in order to attain that blissful state again. But insight meditation means looking into the nature of things, of the five khandhas, seeing them as anicca, impermanent, as dukkha, unsatisfactory. None of these khandhas have the ability to give you any kind of permanent satisfaction. Their very nature is unsatisfactory and anatta. Start to investigate and wisely consider sabe sankara anicca, sabe dhamma anatta, rather than thinking you've attained something or that you've got to hold on to that attainment and start to resent anybody who gets in your way. Note what is attachment. When your mind is really concentrated, let go of it. Rather than just indulging in that peaceful feeling, attach to something, worry about something. Do it deliberately so that you begin to see how you go out and grasp things or worry about losing them. In your practice, as you begin to understand and experience letting go, you begin to realize what Buddhas know. Sabe Sankara Anicca, Sabe Dhamma Anatta. It's not just a string of words. Even a parrot can say the words, but it's not an enlightened parrot. Insight is different from conceptual knowledge. But now you're penetrating, going deep into this, breaking through the illusion of self as being anything at all, or, no, or nothing, nothing. If you believe that you don't have a self, that's another belief. I believe I don't have a self. We believe in no self. You see that the Buddha pointed to the way between those two extremes of believing that you have a self and believing that you don't have a self. You cannot find anything in the five khandhas which is a permanent self or soul. Things arise out of the unconditioned. They go back to the unconditioned. It's therefore through letting go, through adopting, not through adopting any, any sorry. It's therefore through letting go, not through adopting any other attitude that we seek to no longer attach to mortal conditions.
So there's uh, many useful things in there. I think uh, Lumpur's, particularly Lumpur's encouragement, rather than just indulging in that peaceful feeling, attached to something, worry about something. Do it deliberately so that you begin to see how you go out and grasp things or worry about losing them. That's, a, I think, an advanced practice <laughs> to... to uh, so, because most of us, uh, peace is something that's very elusive and very, very attractive. So that when those peaceful times come, there's definite sense of <sighs> so a, a natural relief, like coming in out of the cold into a nice warm place, or in the in a hot country coming out of the heat into the shade. <sighs> so there's a natural appeal of that uh, those peaceful times. But um, uh, as I think the, that winter retreat of 88 was pr- progressing, then Lumpur was uh, encouraging, you know, don't just get lost in that, 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 that peaceful quality, that peaceful feeling, but um, worry about something. Like, look for something to get upset about or get, or get worried about, just to be able to see how the mind works, to, to, don't be, to not be afraid to bring objects into the mind, to explore them, to reflect on them, and to develop your quality of understanding and and non-attachment and non-grasping. Any comments, questions, thoughts? Yes, Roman. Once again, seven o'clock has come round already. So try to keep it short. That's all. Ajah, my question is about recollection of death. Uh, you mentioned yesterday about once you bought a ticket to the spiritual journey, so to speak, um, then there's no returning at some point. And it uh, reminded me of, I heard when I was a teenager, I don't know if it was in biology class or something, I read or heard that if you throw a frog into a pot with boiling water, it will jump out right away. But if it's lukewarm water and you slowly heat it up, then the frog will be caught in that pot because won't be able to jump out again. And I think spiritual practice from a certain point is the same. And so I guess my question is about the willingness to die before we die. Um, at the outset of spiritual practice, we might do it because we want to be calmer or, I know, we think it's lofty or something. But then we gradually see what it's really about. And... Um, I, I, I find uh, um, the recollection of death very helpful for myself right now. That's kind of what my practice re- uh, revolves around. And could you speak on the willingness um, to die before one dies and also why paradoxically reflecting on the foulness of the body and skeleton and things like that in death can bring great joy because it sounds very morbid, but it doesn't feel morbid in meditation. There's a few things in there. Uh, so the, uh, this was a, a, a common um, expression that Lumpur Cha would use. Uh, in, in the Thai language, it's dai kon dai. The word for to, to die in English is the same as in Thai. Dai kon dai. Die before you die. And... Uh, and sometimes when people came to ask to stay at Wat Bapong, they, uh, he would, Lumpur Chawa would say, why have you come here? And they say, oh, I want to study with you, Lumpur. I want to be enlightened. And he'd say, uh, uh, well, it's better if you come here to die or that uh, the, the, um, the opportunity you have is to, to die here. Um, have you come here to die? But no, I've come here to get enlightened. <laughs> so that uh, he was quite... Uh, uh, active quite regularly using that 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 imagery um, and that uh, to die before you die is it's a lot to do with letting go of the self-centered patterns of thinking you know your uh, where, where you think your life is going or what you want to do with your future or or um, the the story you tell uh, about who you are and uh, and what you aspire to um, it's uh, about letting go of those creations. It doesn't mean to say that you, you physically wish to drop dead, uh, but rather that there's that readiness to, to let go of all of those self-created habits and self-created programs. Another phrase that Lumpur Chah would use very often is uh, to say a samana, you know, a, a monastic, has no future. If you're really practicing with a, 
the heart of a samana, a renunciant, then you have no future. You're not thinking in terms of, of what you're going to do later or what's going to happen tomorrow or next year, but rather there's a, a, a complete letting go of that. There's a, 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 a say, a non-self-creation. And so that that's a, a very helpful way of of getting perspective on those deeply rooted habits of uh, self-centered thinking and uh, how ready are we to to let go to drop everything are, are you ready to to say um, let this life end right now and so that the uh, it's a, a skillful way of reflecting and getting perspective on those uh, habits of, of attachment to the body, to the personality, to our own personal story, and uh, to to see those as genuinely empty. There's there's no thing there, and that's the the habits of conditioning are, are generally very very strong for us. And so that kind of uh, way of reflecting um, uh, and to to meet those those sort of patterns of thinking and those aspirations with a with that. Um, that kind of bluntness of the are you ready to drop the whole thing? Are you ready to, to drop your story? <laughs> are you are you ready to to die? You know, have you come here to die? Uh, and that uh, that is a uh, a challenge to the habits of self centered thinking. Even the noble uh, uh, the the noble uh, aspirations that we have, or, or, or more sort of wholesome or noble qualities of self centered thinking, is to to get a perspective on all of that, um, and I think the 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 reflections on death and uh, the uh, the mortality of the body and the skeleton and the body parts and such like, the it's it's joyful in so far as the the there's a a joy that comes with with non possession, non owning that the, that none of this belongs to me. It's not my it's not something that really has to be carried around. I don't, doesn't the heart doesn't have to be burdened with this. There's a a a relief that comes with that that sense of non ownership. When the Buddha described nibbana, he said it's a a place of 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 non possession. It's a quality of of not owning. And so that that. Um, reflecting on the body in that kind of a different way, and the ownerless um, and compounded nature of the body, it it supports that quality of of uh, recognizing that it's uh, that it's it's ownerless, and then the, the quality of, of peace, the peacefulness that comes from that, is a natural result of uh, oh, this this isn't me or mine. This can't be owned. Uh, this doesn't belong to me. Ah. <sighs> So it's it's challenging to the ego that likes to own things and be the possessor and the owner, but it's simultaneously uh, sort of relieving and uh, liberating for the heart. So that's often a mixture of the, both challenging to the ego and, and liberating to the heart. That's a, a familiar flavor of uh, uh, that you encounter in, in Dhamma practice. So I'll leave it there for today. Mm-hmm.